All right. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. I'm Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. I want to, first of all, thank Adrian Trevino and the Autism Society so much for hosting, for having us in here, um, and for spreading the word, and of course, for all they do. Thank you for joining us and taking the time out of your day today to be with us. We have got some Great. And I said Autism Society. I'm so sorry. I meant the Down Syndrome Association. Oops. Uh, sorry about that, Adrian. Um, anyway, we're all happy to be here with you today uh, to share this information. Um, just a couple of housekeeping items before we get started. Since we're in webinar mode, we cannot hear you or see you, but we know you're out there and we appreciate you being here. So if you have any questions or comments, you can go ahead and put those in the chat box and we will get to as many of your questions um, as possible throughout the webinar today. Um, also, this webinar is being recorded. Later on today, you should get a copy of the slides as well as a link to the recording on our YouTube channel. So don't worry about that. We also have a podcast. So if you happen to be joining us on the podcast and you would like a copy of these slides, you can just email contact at cpgcares.net and we'll go ahead and send you a copy of the slides. So uh, without any further ado, we'll go ahead and get started. Again, I'm Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. We are a financial planning firm that is based in Houston. Um, we serve families all over Texas and all across the country. We help families with things like uh, protection plans and lifetime care, you know, figuring out how much is it going to cost to pay for care for my loved one for the rest of their life? Uh, we help with transition planning, which is that magical time between, um, you know, right around 18 years old when your child is getting ready to go from high school to the real world and, and how all of that works, because a lot changes at that moment. We help families with ABLE accounts, uh, and we're here to advocate and educate families. Um, you know, over the entire United States, there are over 263,000 financial advisors. And this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, 253,000 financial advisors all across the United States. And fewer than 200 of those not 200,000, just 200, like probably the amount of people who live on three blocks here in my neighborhood, uh, that's how many focus on special needs planning. So it's fewer than a tenth of a percentage of all the financial advisors in the United States focus on special needs planning. So you are definitely in the right place when you are looking at Consolidated Planning Group. So today, um, I want to give as much time as possible to Steve so that he can tell us his experiences and his stories and tell us about independence at every stage beyond Down syndrome. So um, if you have any questions, like I said, please go ahead and put that in the chat box. 
I do see we already have one talking point in the chat box, so we'll get to your question. Uh, but Steve, why don't you go ahead and take over and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks so much, Michelle. And thanks to the Consolidated Planning Group and Adrian and the folks at the Down Syndrome Association of Houston. It's great to be with everyone. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday or joining on the podcast. Um, I think that independence is uh, a popular topic because we know it's out there, but it seems oftentimes overwhelming. Um, so we'll talk a bit about our inspiration uh, today and um, and some of the aspects of independence, but it really comes from our daughter, who's now 28. Um, and we used to live in Houston and recently moved out to Austin. And so our story and what you guys are doing is definitely very personal. Uh, recently, Gwendolyn, uh, my daughter, and I were on a uh, road trip. So we're, we're trying to reach out to other Down syndrome associations in the country and share this kind of message with them and just engage with them and hear what's on their mind and help them begin to develop their own independence plan. And before one of the sessions that we had in Kansas City, uh, the family came up to us and we were just chatting and the mother said, you know, um, I really feel like my daughter is doing okay. And um, <laughs> before I could jump in a little bit, she said, but I really want her to flourish. And I thought, well, that's a beautiful thing that um, we should all be aspiring for. And it's not necessarily easy. I mean, we're all busy. Parenting itself is busy, not to mention the, the extra um, issues and challenges that we have as uh, parents of people with Down syndrome. Uh, so it's something that we just kind of have to keep it in mind and continue to move forward. So uh, we'll talk about mindset because I think it's really critical for all of our families, regardless of the age. Uh, pillars of independence, and then we'll uh, talk about how that we can tackle some of the obstacles to achieve that independence and other resources that are available to uh, to you guys and other families. So if we can go to the next slide, please. Thank you. So this is our daughter, uh, Gwendolyn. So again, she's 28. Um, we um, just are constantly inspired by her. She's been, um, She's grown like everybody else. She used to be so shy. She couldn't, um, she wouldn't get up on stage on a uh, Saturday um, uh, uh, play date that she had at, in Houston at, um, at one of the facilities that was offering a weekend camp. And now she has um, spoken in front of 300 people and she loves to sing in front of 300 people as well. That's always an interesting and uh, an inspiring sort of uh, experience, I must say. Uh, when she was about 18, she came home and she said, I want to talk about my independence. I will tell you that um, she's pretty communicative, but the whole topic just kind of floored us and um, her request. Now, she has two younger siblings who have um, since moved out, gone to college, had relationships, you know, the normal thing. And, um, and Gwendolyn wanted that. And so we latched on to this initiative that she had and said, well, what does that mean to you? What does independence mean? And what are your aspirations? And so we had a great conversation. And um, what came out of that was a big butcher block piece of paper on the counter in our kitchen, where we talked about what independence meant to her. And we'll talk about those um, as we go through our session today. And we we asked, well, so how do we achieve each one of those? So 
perhaps you're not ready to to work or to have to go to continuing education after high school or relationships. But um, what do we need to do to continue to build your skill set? And frankly, our the parents comforts comfort to be able to let her have more independence and support her aspirations and dreams. And um, so she continually uh, inspires us to continue to work on this as she's gone through her own independence journey and learning a lot and continuing to stretch herself. It really brought us um, to a point where we just wanted to make sure we were supporting what she wanted. And um, that put her at the center of the independence plan. And in order to do that, we spent a lot of time talking about things, involving her in decisions. And ultimately, right before COVID, we started talking about housing, independent living. And she really wanted that. That's been high on her list. And so we started looking around before COVID and after COVID. We, um, we looked at probably over 15 places in the Houston, Dallas uh, area and ultimately we came to uh, to Austin and we found a, a living community called Marbridge Foundation. If anybody has questions, I'm happy to answer those offline. Um, and so, really, um, her mother Jennifer and I moved to Austin to follow Gwendolyn and her her dreams. So she found a spot about a year and a half ago at Marbridge, and so we sold the house and came out to Austin. And it's been a fabulous journey to watch her grow. And uh, Austin's been a beautiful place to, to live as well. So she continues to in inspire us. Ultimately, we put together a book called The Essential Guide for Families with Down Syndrome because we learned so much through her journey that we felt it was important to share it with other people so they didn't have to recreate the wheel and, and find manageable steps in their own independence journey, whatever that might look like. So we keep uh, Gwendolyn at the forefront. She joins us on all of our, our visits, but she's not able to join us today on the webinar. But uh, you'll find more information on our website about Gwendolyn and her journey. All right, thank you. So we wanted to talk about independence, and I just wanted to put this slide up to begin with to encourage you to think about um, what takeaways do you want to get from today? So you may have specific questions or issues that are nagging issues that you just need more support or information on. So keep those at the forefront. Or you may hear some things during our time together that um, you want to jot down and say, I, I need to learn more about that. Or it's time to um, understand more about certain aspects of his or her independence journey. So we'll we'll cover a lot of stuff. And I believe independence in general can be overwhelming because we don't really know what to do or where to go, how to start. And so I would encourage you to just take three items away. And at the end, if we have time, we'll um, we'll check the chat and see if anybody wants to share their three items because I think it's interesting to see where everybody is and what their focus is going forward. So we, I mentioned earlier that mindset was really critical. And um, that I, I really didn't anticipate that that would be something we would focus on when we started to go through this journey. But we realized as we learn more about not only Gwendolyn's um, steps, but other families' experiences, that positive mindset made a huge difference. We're all parents. We were all there when our child was born. And, um, and it can be overwhelming, whether we knew before they were born or not, the fact that they have Down syndrome was probably a shock to the system. I know it was for us. And we, we 
kind of fell into learning mode and we grabbed every book on the shelf and we talked to a lot of people and went to meetings at our local Down Syndrome Association, DSAH actually. And um, we wanted to learn as much as possible. And then we stepped back and said, you know, this is overwhelming. We're just going to love our baby and the other things will fall into place. But I think the mindset was really critical and that we all need to understand the aspects of how our life has changed, certainly, and our plans have changed. But to shift our, our paradigm from that to the world of possibilities really makes it made a difference for us and for our house and I think for Gwendolyn's future. Um, and, and nowadays, we live in a different world for families with Down syndrome and other special needs. Um, Gwendolyn was born in the mid-90s, and things have developed so much since then as far as the opportunities, the lifespan, the um, possibilities that are uh, sons and daughters have in the community. And so really focusing on that positive mindset. So there's nothing that Gwendolyn and your sons and daughters can't do. It depends on what they want to do, but there are opportunities and their support that was never there before. And so how do we pursue those things as opposed to uh, lament the things that they're not going to be able to do? Yeah, there is probably a grieving process that we've all gone through. And at times that may pop up as we see others doing different things. But what Gwendolyn and so many other um, individuals with, with Down syndrome and their families have been able to do is really remarkable. So focusing on that positive definitely gets, gets the right um, feel inside the family. Second mindset is person-centered planning. So we've talked a little bit about this already, um, but um, when I, if Gwendolyn was here, I would ask her, who's the most important person on your independence team? And her response would be with a, with a little bit of a smirk, it's me being her not me <laughs> and um she's very proud of that but it takes some work and it really took some shift because you know when they're younger when they're when they're tiny we have to make the decisions and speak for them but as they grow older and they get into their teens and beyond we need to encourage them to be part of that independence plan i can't tell you 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 guys probably all had the same experience we go to a doctor and the doctor talks to myself and my wife, how is Gwendolyn feeling? What's wrong with her today? Or what does she need attention on? And so we've learned to pause that conversation and say, well, she's right here in the room. So why don't you ask her? Um, and whether, whether um, uh, your self-advocate is verbal or not, they can communicate in different ways. And we should encourage other people to recognize that they are there and it's their health, it's their planning, it's their financial planning, whatever the case may be, and that we want to make sure that they're always in the center of that. So some decisions like housing that were really strange and hard for us, uh, we really started to look at it through the lens of her own eyes and her aspirations. And that changed our perspective quite a bit about what independent living could mean for her and for our family. Third uh, aspect of mindset was is lifelong journey. So I think Today, maybe a lot of you um, have joined with uh, self-advocates that are in their teens or their early 20s, and you're thinking, okay, transition workshop, right? And there's a lot to do when, when they reach 18, critical steps that you need to apply for. And certainly when the handrails of um, public education or high school go away, most parents, including ourselves, were like, what do I do now? <laughs> I didn't really anticipate this. I feel like I'm falling off a cliff and I know I want to do something, but I'm not sure even what to do. 
And so it's critical at that age, but we've also learned that it's a lifelong journey, right? So if we, um, if we tend to coddle and do things for our, our children and we don't really give them the space to exert their own initiative and interests, and then suddenly at 18 to 22, we say, we're going to flip the switch and talk about independence and we're going to talk about work and community uh, continuing education and that sort of thing. It's really hard to flip that switch when everybody in the family, including the self-advocate, has been used to maybe having things done primarily for them. So I think that this mindset of um, a lifelong journey and the mindset of independence itself really benefits from starting at an early age. That's really hard because we all want to help out and uh, um, our kids and certainly our more vulnerable kids or maybe the kids that don't communicate as well as others. But I think if we if we exert a bit of patience and give them a little bit more space, they'll, as you can probably attest to, they'll generally surprise us with their capabilities and their interests. So I would encourage us to do that from the very earliest of stages. And finally, the fourth mindset that I wanted to share was community. And so I think it's great that you guys are all here um, spending some time on your Saturday to um, listen to the webinar. And certainly I appreciate DSAH and their sponsorship of the webinar as well, because it takes community. Oftentimes in that, in that hospital room, we feel alone. You know, we, we are we're going through this transition that we didn't really necessarily anticipate and how do we do it and so forth. But if we envelop ourselves with a community of other people that are going through the same thing or have gone through this journey and are years ahead of us, then I think that just helps for us to find resources so we don't have to figure it out all by ourselves and also to be more optimistic of the possibilities that do lie ahead um, because other people are there to help. And so I would encourage that and applaud um, all the DSA organizations around the country, including uh, Houston's for what they do for, for you guys. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out to them and tell them what you need for your own plan. So four pillars of independence. So as I mentioned, we, we've been on a road trip and, and visited some Down syndrome conventions and heard from a lot of families. What is your aspiration? And so when I say families, it's the parents and it's certainly the self-advocates and can be grandparents and siblings as well. But what is your aspiration for the future? What do you really want to, to do? And so we heard four different things that came up time and time again as far as um, goals. And the first one was continuing education. So we've talked about this cliff that families fall off of whenever they decide that high school is enough, sometime between 18 to 22 in the state of Texas. And so what do we do then? Um, so many, many families will find that the next step is that their child comes home and stays at home because they just don't know what is available. And um, I would encourage you to to really think about different options. So yes, coming home is one option, but there are different variations inside of that option. So it's one thing to come home and sit on the couch all day and play video games. And you know there are moments when we all may like that, but if that's the majority of, of their day, then they're just not learning and they're not progressing. And many families experience this sort of plateauing 
where they get bored. We all get bored doing the same thing, but families and self-advocates get bored because they are just doing the same thing and it's not challenging or interesting to them. And then eventually that may lead into a regression syndrome. So uh, Dr. Brian Shacoin, who's well-versed in the Down syndrome community, talks a lot about the regression syndrome. People that eventually lose a lot of the skills and capabilities that they've worked so hard to build up. And there are some heart-wrenching stories that we've heard, some of which are inside our book, but um, heart-wrenching stories of families where the child was able to do a lot of stuff for themselves and suddenly due to something changing, whether it's school ending or COVID or some other change in their family dynamics that they no longer were able to speak or they were having trouble walking. And um, so I think that one of the keys to working on that is certainly to keep an eye on things, be aware of major changes that may happen in their life, but also to continue to provide them with new challenges and continuing education opportunities. So, so at home could be, um, it could be this, the couch, or it could be, well, they're coming out on um, on errands with me, but it also could and should be something more like a um, homeschooling. Not necessarily in the same structure that we may know that term, but that we're going to structure things where that continue to expose them to museums or and other social groups and activities so that they're really, in essence, going to school um, and learning new things. If if you don't want to do that, and I will tell you, we've felt overwhelmed by the concept of homeschooling from the earliest of ages, um, but there are many day programs that are out there um, in Houston and in the in Texas and, and across the nation. Do your homework. There are some day programs that are like adult babysitting. There are some day programs that are more like um, slave labor, in, I must say. And uh, but there are many great day programs that provide a combination of education, social, vocational training that is just what self-advocates generally need to continue to grow. They may learn at a different pace than than other people, but our um, sons and daughters have a long runway to learn and we just have to provide that opportunity. Finally, on the continuing education, there are a number of um, inclusive college programs. So if you think that might be right for your child now or in the future, that's something that is definitely worth um, researching because they are sprouting up all over the country. There are some that are more hands-on and helping out than others and it depends on what your son or daughter may be ready for but but that is certainly a viable option for people in our community work um so i think sometimes work um feels like this is okay this is a money making opportunity there are a lot of costs associated with with independence for our sons and daughters and so how can we bridge that gap um, we've learned that work is really more about the skills and pride that our sons and daughters can develop. Uh, I'll never forget the first days that our that Gwendolyn came home from her jobs and her face was just beaming. She loved to tell us everything that she did um, and what she learned. And she built a community of other people that she got to know and they got to know her. Very valuable experience for her. Um, we later have learned, and we'll talk a little bit about this um, uh, a bit later in our time, that um, we have to be really careful about it being a primary source of income because they have lots of benefits that 
have limitations as far as what they can earn or what assets they can have. Um, so it's really more of that focus of um, providing them with that pride. And it gives uh, Gwendolyn a little bit of spending money, which she is thrilled to spend in uh, many of her own odd ways. So um, that's also a silver lining. All right, the next uh, pillar is relate our relationships. And um, we all need relationships, right? Um, no matter how introspective we may be, um, having relationships with others is just soothing. Um, it may only be one or two other special people, or it may be a flock of them, but having those relationships is important for everyone, and it's certainly important for our self-advocates. Um, they want to feel that they're part of a group. They want to have people that they can share their fun and excitement, as well as their anxieties and fears with. Um, I think part of the challenge is when we put our sons and daughters in an environment with a group of people that a lot of the conversation seems to be quite superficial and repetitive. And that is just part of them developing their own communication skills in whatever way they can. But encouraging them, providing the environment, um, hosting playdates where they have the opportunity to really learn a little bit more and develop that rapport is really important. Depression is two to three times more likely in the Down syndrome community than in the general population. This is not because they have Down syndrome. This is just because they, like many other people, have a lot of stuff on their mind, right? And, and they are struggling to share what's on their mind and kind of process it. And so having relationships with other people, having an independence team, I like to call it, of friends, family, can be doctors and teachers, people that really have their vested interest in mind and can help them work through some of the things in their mind can really help them spring forward in amazing ways. Uh, so we need to be there to encourage that because without the um, relationships, I think it can be a very lonely process for our self-advocates. And finally, the fourth pillar is housing. So we've talked a little bit about housing, and I think this is probably the one that we get the most questions about when we've uh, gone on our road trips. Um, housing for us, and for many families, I think, um, evokes thoughts of shame and, and fear in parents. We were really nervous about talking about this. We assumed, frankly, from the day that she was born, she would always live with us, but things have changed. And um, we our, our per perspective on this topic really changed when we really focused on two different items. We talked earlier about person-centered planning. And so we thought, okay, through Gwendolyn's eyes, what does she want? And she definitely wanted housing. So we, well, what does that mean? Why do you want that? I want to be independent. I want to be able to do things for myself. I don't want to be told what to do all the time. Um, and we realize that she, like her brother and sister, will flourish when they get out from under the protective umbrella of the parent parenting household and be able to do their own thing. Now, the definition of what Gwen's independence is and her brother and sister may be a little bit different. We certainly had to find the right place for Gwendolyn to, to live that provided that right amount of challenge and support that she felt comfortable with and certainly that we felt was, was the right place for her to be as well. And so housing is something we really had to think through. But the other aspect of housing that um, we recognized was that, honestly, we're not going to be around forever. Um, and that has changed quite a bit. I mean, back in the even the 80s, not that long ago, the average lifespan for people with Down syndrome was about 25. 
25. I mean, our daughter was born not long after that, and she's 28. Um, so nowadays, due to a lot of medical advances and awareness of things, but also due to a lot of programs that have helped to develop and provide substance and purpose to the lives of people with Down syndrome, the average age is in the mid-60s, and it's continuing to grow. So that is fantastic. Um, it does raise some other new challenges, right? When they live twice as long as they used to live. So how do they keep busy? How do they avoid plateaus and regression? How do they find purpose and meaning in their life? Who are they going to spend time with? And this is probably the first generation of people with Down syndrome that um, are going to outlive their parents or caregivers. So normally most, most families probably assume they were going to stay with, um, with us, with the parents. And but that's not necessarily the case. And so we really wanted to make sure we were involved in the discussions about her independent living options. So we could do that now, but we're not sure we can do that later. Things happen and we may not be around. There may be an emergency. And so suddenly she gets sprung out of the house because we're not available or we're not around anymore. And so we wanted to be part of the process of evaluating what the options were. Um, looking at those with her and making decisions for the short term, but also more importantly for the long term that could provide her with the support. We've had lots of discussions with her brother and sister who are um, now in their 20s, and um, they are loving siblings and caring siblings for Gwendolyn. But what our conversation was with them was we want you to one day be the guardian for Gwendolyn, but we don't want you to be the caregiver. Um, we want you to be involved in her life, but we also want you to have your own wonderful life. Um, now, we recognize that many of these pillars are, I think they're all important, but what I'm encouraging uh, you guys to do is not necessarily to take the same path that Gwendolyn um, took and her family took, but to figure out your own path. The key is for each one of these and many other aspects of independence, there are many options. And you can decide that work will look different, much different than what Gwendolyn is experiencing or housing could be different. But to ask the questions and think about what you, your family and your self-advocate really want. So you can plan for that, whether it's in the next year when they turn 18, or whether it's 15 years down the road, um, when they turn 18, but to really have that plan and to understand what the options are is really a helpful process for you and your family. Um, maybe this is a good time if there are any questions in the chat before we go into the obstacles. Um, okay, yeah, there is just one question in the chat and okay. it, it, I'm, I'm not sure that you can speak to this, but uh, the 18 plus program at high school, you know, this person is saying that um, they, they'd like to talk about how many days and hours per week because their school is proposing two days a week two hours a day and that seems really insufficient so how can uh, you know is is that typical is that what you're seeing out there is is there a way that she someone that she can talk to about that do you have a resource for that as far as the um the high school transition programs i think is what she's talking about and and they do vary considerably across the state and I mean, really school to school or school district, um, they are very different. I would certainly encourage you to find the right balance for you. If you feel like two hours or so, um, two to four hours a week is not enough and that your loved one needs more interaction and needs more 
support to learn, then I would certainly encourage you to find more resources. And if that can't be through the school, despite your best efforts, then you may find other resources, whether it's a local Down Syndrome Association that offers other resources. I know in Houston, uh, DSAH offers a lot of um, support for families. Uh, the Friends of Down Syndrome is another Down Syndrome organization that offers after uh, that offers um, post high school support. And for anybody over 18, so really, if your child is in that area, they could attend school programs and also attend a day program for one or two other days a week. Um, but yeah, I think it, you have to find that right balance. Um, talk to other people in the community and see what they do and where they're, where the day programs and resources are for them. But if they're all, if their alternative is that they're going to stay home most of the day, um, that they don't have a structured program, then there probably is a need to fill that in somehow, whether it's through the school district or through other programs in the community. And somebody else mentioned in the chat box that Gigi's Playhouse offers some good support mm -hmm. for that kind of stuff. So maybe that's something right. that you can check out as well. That's, yeah. that's all we have for right now. Okay. I think those are great topics because really from the age of 18, you're going through this transition because at, at 22, if not beforehand, all the public schooling support goes away. And so really having that that period to have a transition where it's a combination of school and community programs like GG's or Friends of Down Syndrome or, or other programs or work um, can provide that transition toward more, greater independence at the age of 22. Uh, we kind of felt that, that um, we share your frustration because Gwendolyn was 18 when we had this independence talk that we talked about earlier. And we realized, you know, whether it's 18 or 22, the time for greater independence is rapidly approaching. And so we started to look around at what other options there were for her. And we, like you, felt like the, the transitionary program at her high school was not really great. Um, she had gotten a good amount of learning out of her high school program over the years, but they really weren't providing her with that next step toward independence for her. And so we were looking for other things. We ended up finding a day program. And actually, when she was 19, we um, pulled her out of high school to go to the day program. And because she wanted more we all agreed she couldn't get it at the high school. And this program was fit for purpose for adults with Down syndrome. And we felt like this was the right place for her. So we actually cut her high school experience short. She graduated at 19 and, and it really was a big stepping stone for her to, for her own personal growth. So there are options. Um, and we talk about some of those in the book as far as day programs and housing and work options that I would encourage you to consider um, as they approach 18. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Steve. Sure. Okay, tackling uh, obstacles. So there's a long list of obstacles. When you think about the pillars that we talked about before, um, relationships, uh, education, work, and housing, um, most parents can look at this list and say, yeah, th those all kind of ring true for me. Um, there are obstacles. I'm not sure how to overcome them. And there's many other things that that you would probably put on your list that we haven't captured here on this slide. Um, I just wanted to talk about some of these and I would encourage you to um, please share uh, your comments in the chat box or other obstacles that you um, feel you're confronting or you're nervous about coming in the future. And we'll be happy to talk about those as well. 
um, fear in general. Um, it's a new thing. Um, this independence it's, uh, I mean, we had fear with our other two kids when they left the house and started to go off to school or started to work. So certainly with, um, with Gwendolyn, that was a, a higher level of, of, uh, nervousness and fear. And we found that, um, preparation really helped. So like we talked about earlier, you can't really flip on that switch at 18 or 22 and say, well, now they're going to become independent and move out of the house and do all these other things. Um, so we had to really prepare, um, prepare ourselves and prepare our, our loved one, Gwendolyn, um, for that change and practice those things. So we talked earlier about listing all these different aspects of independence and what are the skills that Gwendolyn needed to learn. And so we practiced them. We put checklists together of how do you do the laundry we practiced um her being home alone we would just be in the car in the driveway at the beginning but she was home alone and she had to figure things out and we talked a lot about you know how do you who do you answer the door for what do you do if somebody calls what happens if there's an emergency and she got more comfortable and so did we where we could actually go out and have a date night or something because we knew that she had that under control but it didn't happen overnight so having that the the practice and the role modeling really helped especially for things like safety and security um, I think that before we really talk about any aspect of independence, we we collectively, the family, has to get comfortable with safety and security. Because if we're not, if we're not comfortable with our loved one going off into a work environment or different school environment where we're not there and they're not necessarily safe, then we won't do it. And it's unfortunate because it will curb the growth of our loved one, but it's understandable. So how do we create that safety and security? And a lot of that is talking about the different people in her life, which ones are close family and friends, which ones are not going through the aspect of consent. So whether it's talking to somebody or a hug or, or a handshake, you know, that that they, like all of us, have the ability to control that situation. And so what is consent and when do, when do we want to offer that? What are common um, practices in each one of those sort of relationships? Common practice for close friends and family is going to be very different from an acquaintance or a doctor or teacher or certainly a stranger. And we spent a lot of time um, with Gwendolyn talking especially about strangers. So who are strangers, right? They're, people in the grocery that just say hello as we're shopping and that's a stranger but there's obviously other bad um uh aspects in society today that we all have to be aware of and so as difficult as that conversation can be we wanted to make sure we had that conversation with Gwendolyn about what happens if you are at work and somebody um uh, ask you to come outside of work and you don't know them or what happens if you're walking home from work which she did and somebody comes up to you offers you a, a lollipop and says that your parents her parents wanted her to come home with them that they were going to take her home and um, so we went through those scenarios and we talked about them practiced them role modeled them so she could feel more comfortable and we could feel more comfortable there are always more scenarios and so we don't just let her run around the community by herself all the time we make sure that she's in the right environment with people that we know and trust um, and so i would encourage each family to really go through those sort of items communication um, some families may feel like a lot of this is out of their reach because their their uh, young son or daughter 
is not communicative or verbally. And I would just say that communication comes in many forms, as I'm sure you have experienced. And we just need to meet them where they are and help open up their world in whatever way they can can understand and communicate. Um, and oftentimes communication uh, paths and options do change, but there's a lot of options available for people, whether they're verbal or not, um, that weren't available 10 years ago. And so I'd encourage you to continue to, to work those and not to stop dreaming about the independence that your self-advocate is, is aiming for. I uh, love the next one, protective parents, because on our website, we had a poll of hundreds of parents. And one of the things we asked was, what do you think is holding your son or daughter back from the aspirations and dreams that they have? The vast majority, the biggest response was protective parents. And of course, the people filling out the form were the protective parents. So they recognize, as we all do, that we we can be overly protective sometimes. And that's okay. I mean, that provides some sense of comfort and security for them. But for us also to be prepared to stretch that by finding the right environment and teaching them about safety and security and um, taking those smaller steps. So if tomorrow we say, well, we're going to go find a job and we're going to send them off to a day, day program and they're going to take the bus. Well, that, that is overwhelming for anybody. So we need to find those smaller steps. And it may take, like in Gwendolyn's case, it took many years before we felt comfortable that she was ready to kind of live on her own. And, um, and that's okay. We were just on this path on this journey with her. And whenever we all felt comfortable, then we would go to that next step. And that's, that's what we did. Um, the la the next two are perhaps the most critical ones, health and money. So let me talk about health for a few minutes. Um, we're probably all familiar with the common health challenges of people with Down syndrome when they're born. Yeah, many of us have had to deal with that immediately, and um, it's been challenging. And the advances are really um, a large contributor to the extended lifespan of people with Down syndrome these days. What we're probably less familiar with are some of the common health challenges of adults with Down syndrome, some of which have just been underscored by the longer lifespan and may not have really been an issue when they only lived into their 20s. Um, many people, even at early ages, will have to deal with obesity sleep apnea, hypothyroidism. Um, if you haven't been, if your doctor hasn't checked you out for those sort or checked out your son or daughter for those sort of items, and you feel like there's a concern, I would definitely ask for testing. Many of these um, issues kind of go on much longer than they need to because people are not familiar with it. Doctors will suggest that it's just because they have Down syndrome that they don't sleep well or that they um, uh, are overweight or something like that. But but really, there's opportunities for us to find resources and solutions for, for some of these things. Even if you can't correct things, you can't necessarily make sleep apnea or hypothyroidism go away, but you can take medications and you can prepare for things. What they found oftentimes is that when um, people suffer from those uh, two aspects, then they tend to be less active. So they become more unhealthy and in, in, um, in many situations that leads to depression, which we already said was two to three times more likely. And all those things also can be contributing factors to Alzheimer's. Um, so I wanted to mention Alzheimer's. Probably most people in the Down syndrome community are familiar with Alzheimer's. Um, we had certainly been familiar with it, but we had no idea the extent of the challenge that 
lays in front of us, to be honest. I mean, the average, most, the, the general population probably has to deal with Alzheimer's 10%, maybe 15% of the general population. In the Down syndrome population, by the time you're 60, you're 95 to 100% likely you're going to be afflicted with Alzheimer's. It's wow, a scary that's something statistic. that I did not know about. Thank you for sharing that. It is a really scary statistic. And sometimes it becomes evident in the 40s, rarely much earlier than that. Um, but and one of the reasons why, and the primary reason why, is that the marker for Alzheimer's sits on the 21st chromosome, which our sons and daughters are blessed to have three of. So it provides us with a whole different challenge with regard to Alzheimer's and dementia in general. Um, we pair up with uh, the LUMIND organization, uh, L-U-M-I-N-D, and LUMIND actually bridges the gap between the Down syndrome community and Down syndrome research, and they spend a lot of time focusing on Alzheimer's, on gathering information, and trying to help researchers to understand why um, Alzheimer's sits on the 21st chromosome, what can be done about it. And I think they're really key in making sure that the research is done and the results are not only applicable to the general population, but, but applicable to the Down syndrome community. So a portion of our book proceeds go to Lumon because we believe that what they're doing is so important. I mean, it is, it's not a choice, right? And at this point, unfortunately, um, practically all families are going to have to deal with, with Alzheimer's at some point until there's a solution. Um, and I went ahead and put that uh, LUMIND organization in the chat box so that if anybody wants to write it down or to remember sure. what, what that was, there it is for you. Yeah, a little bit of a, another pitch is uh, they've talked to other people in the Down syndrome community, obviously, many, many families. And 80 plus percent say, yeah, I believe we should be doing research to try and understand not just Alzheimer's, but other health challenges for adults with Down syndrome, 80% plus. But when asked how many of you are in a research program, that, that number is about 5%. So what LUMIND is talking about is we just need more people to help. And many of these research uh, programs are not invasive. It's not it's not uh, something that you would, you or your son or daughter would be uncomfortable with. A lot of it is just information tracking and asking questions so they can build their database. So I would encourage you to th think about that. And if you have other questions, I'm happy to, to answer those. Um, the last um, item within health that I'll mention, because it surprised me as well, was that uh, how prevalent autism is in the Down syndrome community. Um, 20, somewhere between 25 and 40% of people with Down syndrome also have Alzheimer's. I had no idea. And it really surprised me. And the average age of people that are diagnosed with autism inside the Down syndrome community is oftentimes well beyond 10. And so, and that's largely because a lot of people, parents and doctors will say, well, this is, these behaviors or this activity is, is because of Down syndrome. And so they don't, test any further. But the sooner that we know about any of these health challenges, the quicker that we can get resources that will help. Um, and so I would encourage you if you if you have any questions about that to ask, ask your doctor, um, ask uh, um, uh, via chat or other resources within the community that you have. Uh, if you and your if you're in Houston and you're not familiar with the Baylor Transition Clinic, I would encourage you to to ring them up. They do a fantastic job of talking about all aspects and bringing in the specialists as needed to help 
address any um, challenges, whether for teenagers or for adults with Down syndrome. So that is a great resource that Houston is so fortunate to have. Um, I think that's kind of it for tackling obstacles, but I see there's a number of other items in the chat. So maybe we can go to that, please. Uh, you're on mute. Did you there. mention the money and... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I skipped the whole money thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the things in well, the chat box, uh, people are talking about the Transition Medical Medicine okay. Clinic at Baylor okay. and bringing up that, you know, dementia, like Alzheimer's, is often li linked with uh, Down syndrome. So really, there's no questions right now in the, in okay. the chat box. Okay, well, let me talk about money since I um, <laughs> forgot. Come on, that. this is my my. And that's your area, you but just skip it. <laughs> but it's it's such a critical area because independence. We've talked about. I hope you will all agree. Independence is a beautiful thing, and it happens from early ages. But independence is not it's not cheap. There are a lot of expenses and especially with their lifespan being twice as long as it used to be. So we really have to um, understand what. Um, the challenges are with money and what the opportunities are. So there is a, we can't cover it all here, but we have a chapter that we've had financial planners contribute to in the book. Certainly consolidated planning group can, can answer your questions. And I would encourage everyone to find a qualified a financial planner resource for, that has expertise in the special needs IDD community to answer those questions. Um, there are many things that we have to, we, we don't have to do anything, but we really need to make sure that we're thinking about things at the age of 18. So applying for SSI is critical. Generally, everybody with Down syndrome should, should uh, receive SSI, but then to understand um, what, um, what we need to do to make sure we maintain that SSI. And that information is oftentimes harder to find than how to get it. Um, it is, it is. And so knowing what your asset limits are, uh, generally can't have more than $2,000 in your name. So even if you violate that unknowingly or a family member gifts your child some money into their bank account, you have violated that. And that can not only jeopardize your SSI, but your Medicaid, which is awarded to those with SSI. And so you certainly don't want to be missing out on Medicaid either. And there's other benefits um, such as their connection with the parents' social security accounts that is can be quite lucrative in the future whenever a parent either is disabled, retires or passes away. Generally, people with Down syndrome are able to receive a large amount of social security benefits. And it doesn't impact the parents' level of social security benefits. It's just an extra benefit for people with disabilities. But if you have violated some of these rules like asset limitations or income limitations, then suddenly that income stream may be gone forever. And it could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. And um, so that's why when we talk about work, I think work is so critical, but it's critical from the pride and skills development. If you want your child or, or young adult to work 20 or 30 hours or more and be able to have a sustainable, self-sustaining lifestyle, um, I would encourage you to really think about that and talk to your financial planner. Maybe they're able to do that now, but will they be able to do that for their adult life to be able to sustain their their 
living of choice and build up enough social security for themselves to be able to live off of when they retire down the road. If, if that's not really feasible and for our daughter, she loves to work, but we decided that wasn't feasible for her, then we needed to make sure we didn't violate these rules so that she could get all the benefits that were available to her. Other benefits that you should be aware of are things like SNAP or what we oftentimes know as food stamps, which many families are, are qualified to get. Um, certainly, uh, Texas Home Living and HCS are available, but have long waiting lists in Texas, uh, which most of you are probably aware of. If you're not aware of it, then you need to be, right? From the earliest of ages, I would get on a waiting list. Yeah. We went overseas for um, a few years. And when we came back, Wendelin had to start over on the Texas waiting list. That was in 2008. So here we are 15 years later, she's still on the waiting list. And it looks like she has 10 or 15 more years before she'll get off. So huge um, delay. And we've had to make plans accordingly because we can't count on that public assistance. So as soon as they're born, I would get them on the waiting list and be aware that if you do move out of state, you'll, you're probably going to have to start all over wherever you go. So that may be part of your consideration. Uh, so lots of different things that I would encourage you to be aware of. Um, it's not always easy to know all the things that there that are available for families with Down syndrome or other special needs. And it's certainly not easy to know the limitations, but the more we're aware, the more we can plan. Um, having resources like Consolidated will really help um, help give you a peace of mind and help you have a plan that's not just uh, filled with aspirations and dreams, but has financial considerations as part of that so that um, the dreams are, are feasible and doable when the time comes. Man, I wish I, I could use you for a commercial. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, uh, I want to say that we knew about these sort of things ourselves, but there's a lot of stuff we didn't know. And we learned by talking with other people, you know, our financial planner or, um, talking with other families and realizing, oh, we didn't know we were eligible for that, or we had no idea that um, that Gwendolyn was eligible for some Social Security off my retirement benefits. And it changed um, our situation completely. And especially given the uh, long waiting list in Texas, it's important to know all the options that you have. So um, one of the, th the things that really drove us with our book project was that we didn't want other families to have to start from scratch and try and find all this information out themselves because it, it took us years and it was hard to find that but but we we dug around for it and we leaned on a lot of medical and financial um, experts to help fill in the gaps and provide a provide us and the reader with as much information as they could and that's uh you know that's one of the first steps is you've got to be aware of it before you can really plan and and uh and go forward toward certain goals so we're back to the three actions. So what three actions will you take? So if anybody wants to jot them down in the chat, that would be great. Um, if you'd rather not share, that's certainly understandable. But I, but I would ask you to think about, depending on the age and, and uh, stage of your loved one with Down syndrome, what do you need to do next? And really, it applies to any age. So whether they're 3, 13, certainly 18, or 38, I mean, there's... There's things that need to be done to encourage them to, to seek their independence and for you to be able to make that possible for them. So um, if there's any uh, actions that people want to share in the chat, we can certainly talk about those next. 
Yeah, I'm seeing. Uh, well, first of all, where can we get a copy of your book? Uh, so um, I, I don't know if it's the next slide, but there's lots of. Uh, oh, well, look at that. how convenient is that? <laughs> That's, it's almost <laughs> like it was meant to be. It, almost. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff on here, but I would say the best place for you to go would be my website. It's beyonddownsyndrome.net. Net. When you get there, you can sign up for, uh, I have a lot of free resources. I just want to get information in the hands of others. We put out a blog every week on a variety of topics. Sometimes we have other families share their stories and how they've overcome challenges. And I think those are really moving and inspirational uh, stories. So there's a blog every week. We have a um, 10 episode YouTube series on our website that talks um, about 10 minutes each on some of these topics and more, whether it's housing or health or financial benefits and that sort of thing. So you can check that out um, on the website. Uh, we have some worksheets that are available, so you can download those, customize them as you wish. It's all for all for your benefit. I don't see that, but you can use that as a way to start a bit of a checklist of um, of things for your independence plan. And yes, you can also get the book on the website. So there's a uh, tab on the website for the Essential Guide for Families with Down Syndrome. It's uh, twenty dollars. It's available on paperback. Uh, you can get an ebook. I think it's $7.99 for an ebook. Uh, we're running a special this weekend on um, uh, on the paperback through the website at $17.50, uh, both to celebrate our webinar here today, as well as Mother's Day, because who's who else is caring for and preparing for for the future more than than the uh, mothers and the family generally. So you can check that out. Um, and uh, if you buy it off the website, then we'll sign the book and and shipping is free. So it's the cheapest way you can get a paperback of the essential guide as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, we do have one person who's sharing their their takeaways, the person-centered planning, independent, enhanced flourish, engaging positively and proactively in tasks as early as possible. So awesome. that is, yes, yes, perfect. Now, like I said, you will receive these slides um, later today in your email. So you'll get this slide and be able to click straight to um, Steve's information. His Facebook page is here. His YouTube channel is linked. So that will all be there for you. We just have a few more minutes. So please get those last questions into the chat box as I finish my last couple of slides. Um, you know, we do... We love doing webinars to help educate families, to advocate for families, and bringing in fantastic helpers like Steve and, and other topics. We do have a webinar coming up. Um, I put that in the chat box about programs that are available, um, day programs that are available. So it's kind of going to be like a speed dating. What's your program? Where are you located? Who do you serve? How much does it cost? That kind of stuff. That is coming up on June 14th. Uh, we do webinars on all of these topics that you, oops, all of these topics that you see here. I got a little overexcited. Um, anyway, things like guardianship and the waiver programs and SSI and SSDI, um, different options after high school, waiting lists, um, all of these kinds of things that we help families with, places where you can put money in buckets for your children or your loved one, your self-advocate. I love that term. 
That's one of my takeaways today is the self-advocate term. Um, so yes, we are definitely here to help with all of these things and, and help you unravel what you need to do for your, your loved ones. This is our team. On the top is Allison and Jeff. They're the owners of Consolidated Planning Group. Um, they have four children all together and two of them have special needs. And that's why we do what we do. We're an independent firm uh, located just outside of Houston. The other two up there, my, my glamour shot. And then there's my husband, Andy. We're all, you know, two husband and wife teams partnering together to, to serve families like yours. And then Meredith is our marketing director. She helps us put together all these webinars. We also have um, a great staff of operations uh, directors who help with paperwork and calls and um, getting appointments scheduled and all of those things. And speaking of um, appointments, we do offer a completely free initial consultation where we are going to try to answer the questions that keep you up late at night. Um, the, those quick few questions, uh, of course, are always free. Um, get to know you and your family. And then we'll talk to you a little bit, of course, about how we work and what we do. These free consultations usually take between 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how many questions you have. And then we'll see you know, from that if you would like to continue with our company. Um, if not, there's no pressure. We're not going to harass you uh, or anything like that. We will reach out to see if you have questions about today's webinar or any other questions for us or if you want to sign up for your consultation. If you don't want us to call you and reach out to you, the best way to do that is to just contact us first and, first and set up that appointment. <laughs> of course, you can use the QR code. You can call us or uh, email us contact at cpgcares.net. Also, there's links here to our YouTube channel where all of these webinars live and our Facebook page. Um, okay, so now that I've, I've given my spiel back to the last couple questions uh, for the last couple moments, um, a little bit more talk about um, what is available out there, person-centered planning. Um, Oh, that there was a book listed about autism, Down syndrome and autism link. That was a great resource. I, I can okay. get you the, right. the links for the show notes and stuff. But yeah, there's Teresa Understall, who's on the call, um, has written a book um, about their experience. And it's quite moving. And I think that this segment of the Down syndrome community definitely needs that support and inspiration. So I'd be happy to share that. Um, in the notes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for being here today, for sticking with us through this webinar. Uh, I don't see any other questions. Thank you again, Steve, for all the information you've provided. This has been so helpful. And Adrian for hosting us um, and, and spreading the word about us. Of course, like I said, if you have any questions, reach out. We're here to help. And uh, happy Mother's Day to all. And, uh, and with that, to all a good night. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member 
FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.